she acquired the habit of hanging around the laundry room and sitting on the washer, pretending to read a book during the spin cycle. The other tenement Dizen suspected nothing, only watching her eyes becoming fixed on the text and clutching and holding of her breath would give away her booming, squeezing laundry room climaxes. She would sit, her undies feeling tighter and tighter, a swelling, thumping, rising from below, until she thought she would pee her pants, and then the silent, invisible wave would squeeze and squeeze her hot, throbbing sex until she nearly fell over. And then there is this. Without a word, she picked up a jar of honey from the tea tray, stuck her finger in it, and smeared honey all over her lips. Honey over lipstick, honey around her mouth, honey on her tongue, never taking her eyes off mine. She stopped. Kiss me, Miles. Kiss me until all my honey is gone. Dear God, I started to lick, and then I was devouring her. Nothing existed but Isabel and her mouth, long, soulful kisses that went on forever. Or maybe it was just one kiss that kept inventing itself over and over and over until I thought her rules were a tease. My hand was high on her thigh and my cock was ravenous. She paused and whispered, you kiss like a man who is hungry. This is a good thing. And then she kicked me out the door. There you have it. Just a taste. Stay with me. There's much more to come in this episode of Dirty Poetry. Using the word poetry very loosely, of course. We're going to have a story of organic vegetarian sex. Inspiring, soaring, heart-pounding, life-changing passions. Once a week. We're also going to have a story of a young woman who really doesn't understand very much about her own sexuality. Or anyone else's, for that matter. But what she does know is what she likes. And as a result, she becomes a connoisseur of orgasmic pleasures. Let's begin there. This is Electric Razor by Irma Wimple. Quote, She discovered it while shaving her legs. She paused, letting the electric razor rest against her thigh. The sensations that traveled to her delicates from the vibrating razor captured her attention. She stopped shaving and moved the butt end of the razor higher and higher until the resonating device was nestled against her womanhood. Pressed close and high as she closed her legs tightly, her head tipped back and she lost herself in the sensations. Slowly, the iris of her awareness shrank down to the warmth beating between her legs. 
The sounds of the stereo, the draining bath, traffic, and the feeling of the cold ceramic tile under her feet, the rush of air from the furnace, all faded. She knew only the interaction of the razor's buzz and her own heartbeat, which she could feel more strongly now in her clitoris than in her chest. She held still for a long time. Holding the razor against herself, she began to need to move and made tiny pelvic thrusts holding the razor still. The tiniest movements felt so good to her and escalated her incrementally each time, finally, to a place she had known only in her dreams. With no warning, she crested the hill and fell over the edge and strong, throbbing contractions that bloomed from deep under her clitoris threatened her focus on the hand holding the razor. In ever-spreading ripples, the intense orgasm throbbed, countless beats sending warm pleasure daggers into her entire body. It was almost too much to bear. She was silent and still, and someone watching her would only see her catch and hold her breath. They would not witness the red heat pulsing within her until it subsided. She took a deep, quavering breath, and a dreamy, beatific smile was left upon her face. She left the razor where it was, and soon climaxed two more times, smaller, throbbing aftershocks that threatened to overload her pleasure centers. Afterward, she stumbled to the living room in her terry cloth robe, curled up in a beanbag chair, and fell profoundly asleep in a sunbeam. She found other things in her flat that produced similar effects when used unconventionally. Her tiny food processor, pureeing spinach or beans, could release her with a quick shotgun orgasm after a day of speed and tension. She had to practice pressing it in the exact right position. Reaching her orgasm required navigation of a narrow channel of sensation. If she deviated too much, she was swept around it in an eddy and it passed her by, leaving her sweaty, itchy, and frustrated. Placing the processor on a kitchen chair and standing against it knees bent worked remarkably once awkwardly discovered. She began to eat a lot of processed foods and soups. Sitting on the vacuum cleaner took a long time, but the orgasms came from deep within her and lasted and lasted until she had to fall squirming and sighing off her perch on the base of the machine. She humped the floor then, or her John Lennon pillow, until the tiny clutching aftershocks came and came, erasing her identity, collapsed and carpet burned until morning. She acquired the habit of hanging around the laundry room and sitting on the washer, pretending to read a book during the spin cycle. The other tenement, Dizen, suspected nothing, only watching her eyes becoming fixed on the text and clutching and holding of her breath would give away her booming, squeezing laundry room climaxes. She would sit, 
her undies feeling tighter and tighter, a swelling, thumping, rising from below, until she thought she would pee her pants, and then the silent, invisible wave would squeeze and squeeze her hot, throbbing sex until she nearly fell over. She had an old drill that was slightly off-center, and when she turned it outward and held the butt of the drill against her mound, she rapidly climbed through the sensations to a short, fluttering, rapid, and intense orgasm. She could repeat them by reapplying the machine as soon as she could control her hand until she was exhausted and she felt her entire abdominal area cramp like during her period. She would not be horny for days after one of those sessions, but a bit sore and bruised. She began to shop at home and kitchen supply stores during off hours so that she could turn on the appliances and feel their motor. She acquired an ability to predict the type of orgasm from the feel of the machine in the store. She bought a bread maker whose kneading paddles set her throbbing, but unsatisfied. And she had to go use the electric razor to bring herself off. The razor always gave her the longest, most satisfying, and most multiple climaxes. She turned back to it when the other machines didn't have the depth, the focus, that the tiny rechargeable razor gave her. She bought an electric cordless screwdriver that she would hold between her legs with no blade attached when she was sitting at the computer. An hour would go by, and she would forget it was there as a charge started running out, and suddenly she would need to get off the chair and clasp something soft between her legs and squeeze and squeeze until a tiny soft clutching orgasm reached up from her depths. The magnitude of these was low, but the duration was long, and they left her smiling and sleepy. Summer came, and she found that she could lean against the frame of her boxy window fan, pressing the rounded corner into her pubic mouth through her clothes. She pushed against the vibrating fan very carefully, getting the vibrations in the exact right place. The climax would come without warning, again lofting her over the unseen barrier, and she slid throbbing down, down, down into red-hot squeezing, pulsing oblivion. She rarely made any outward show of passion during these machine-driven orgasms. The entire torrent, the pulsing flood of sensation, was so internal and private that little escaped to the outside world. She did not need to moan or fling herself about. The quieter she was, the more intensely she felt the sensations. Her eyes were always closed to keep her focus narrow within her, avoiding distractions and stimuli from the outside. This new world of oblivion and climax fascinated her, and she wanted to explore all corners and depths of feeling that she could attain. She had only slept with one man, her inept and distant high school boyfriend, and never once achieved anything near her electric razor orgasm. She owned dozens of electric cordless and wind-up machines and became very skilled at creating a climax to suit her mood. But she was lonely. One day she went down to the laundry room to empty the dryer. There was a man there, lanky, 
black hair still wet from a shower, unshaven, in a tight v-necked white t-shirt and jeans, barefoot. He was reading a book, sitting on her favorite washer, on spin cycle. She smiled. Unquote. That adorable young woman was brought to us by the author, Ms. Irma Wimple. Ms. Wimple currently lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. She is a pastry chef by day. By night, she is transformed into a torrid and prolific romantic fiction writer. She is a veteran of five marriages, all of which she considers successful, in that they are over. Our second author is Susanna Indigo. Ms. Indigo is the editor-in-chief of cleansheets.com and the founding editor of the literary journal Slow Trains. She is a writer in her own right. Her books include Sex and Spirituality, Sex and Laughter, Oysters Among Us, From Porn to Poetry. All of these stories are a part of the anthology of erotic stories entitled X, The Erotic Treasury, which is edited by Ms. Susie Bright. Anytime that anyone is unfamiliar with erotic literature and writing and, and they ask me where to begin, I always recommend anything edited by Susie Bright. She surrounds herself with the most amazing writers. In this volume, X, The Erotic Treasury, the illustrious Ms. Bright has this to say in the introduction, quote, When I first conceived of a treasury of erotic stories, the phrase that crossed my mind was an embarrassment of riches. I thought like a pirate, chests of gold, emeralds, rubies, and pallets of pearls spilling out everywhere, goblets overflowing in a smoky haze. For this volume, I invited a group of authors who were worthy of such access, writers who'd rival Scheherazade in their storytelling prowess, writers who could tell a tale as if their life depended on it. I'm honored to present these gifted poets, any of whom would make Matahari look slack. They made me laugh. They aroused me. They twisted my mind and my sheets before I could protest, unquote. And that brings us into tonight's selection. Our selection for tonight is Ratatouille, written by Susanna Indigo. Quote, Miles, did you know that zucchinis make the best cocks? Isabel asked me this on our very first date. 
She twirled her angel hair pasta and looked fondly at the veggies stabbed on the end of her fork. She got my attention. I tried to guess at a good response. Isabel had long, wavy red hair and dancer's legs, and there wasn't much I wouldn't have considered for her. Better than cucumbers, I asked, as though we were discussing favorite recipes over the back fence. She laughed. Hell yes, better than men sometimes, better than vibrators always. No batteries and organic. I was speechless. I had watched Isabel pass by my office for weeks on the way to the dance studio before I found the nerve to ask her out. I was developing a serious navy blue leg warmer fetish by the time I stepped into the hall and blurted out my name and invited her to dinner. Sure, Miles, she said, but it has to be vegetarian for me, okay? She looked so pure and angelic with that pale white skin and the sprinkling of freckles across her nose. I researched every health food restaurant in town. Organic is good, I finally answered her at dinner, feeling like a 16-year-old kid on his first date instead of the lawyer that I was. Do you peel the zucchini? I had to know. Sometimes, she answered. But sometimes rougher is better, you know. I decided right then that it might be possible to fall in love with a girl who said, you know, all the time and wore heavy silver rings and bracelets that weighed her down. Her bracelets looked like handcuffs on her delicate wrist. I took her home to her tiny walk-up apartment at the top of an old building not far from Coors Field. This neighborhood is not safe, I told her. She just laughed at me. Life is not safe, darling. She was right, of course. There's hardly any safety in hating what you do every day for a living. When I chose law school over art, I didn't know the difference between financial security and being safe. She invited me in and lit six black candles all around the room. Six she informed me, is the sacred number of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. She served me hot tea on an elegant silver tray and looked straight into my eyes. A girl has to have rules, you know, she said. I never have full sex with a man until the third date. She smiled. By then, I can always tell if they're fuckable or not. I was 37 years old and a man of the world when she said this, and I swear I couldn't remember ever having had sex before in my life, or if I even knew how. That sounds fair, I mumbled, smoothing my hair. She excused herself and went to the bathroom. I sneaked a look in her fridge while she was gone. Never before had a crisper look so sexy. I counted the zucchinis. There were six, all in a row. She came back, her hair tied up. She pressed one of her strong legs next to mine on the futon. Without a word, she picked up a jar of honey from the tea tray, 
stuck her finger in it, and smeared honey all over her lips. Honey over lipstick, honey around her mouth, honey on her tongue, never taking her eyes off mine. She stopped. Kiss me, Miles. Kiss me until all my honey is gone. Dear God, I started to lick, and then I was devouring her. Nothing existed but Isabel in her mouth, long, soulful kisses that went on forever. Or maybe it was just one kiss that kept inventing itself over and over and over until I thought her rules were a tease. My hand was high on her thigh and my cock was ravenous. She paused and whispered, You kiss like a man who is hungry. This is a good thing. And then she kicked me out the door. I bought her things. I showed up for the second date with flowers and candy and a gift of tiny, delicate crystal ballet slippers that reminded me of her. She was wearing a shiny white leotard, the kind with long sleeves that looked as if it would fall off her shoulders at any minute, the kind you can see nipples through in the right light, and a long, swirling, deep blue skirt that made me want to lift it and bend her over and fuck her hard and fast. But it was only the second date, and rules are rules. Are you a natural redhead? I asked, admiring her hair. You'll never know, darling. Don't you know that dancers wax everywhere but their head? She laughed and lifted her skirt, slid the leotard aside, and twirled and flashed me the prettiest, loveliest bare pussy I will ever see in my life. And then she led me out the door to the theater. We saw cats. She made me. She kept my hand high on her thigh under her skirt the whole time. I was wrong. Cats is a wonderful show. Back at her place, she asked if I was hungry. I believe the exact words were, What are you hungry for? The possibilities raced through my head. Oh, something vegetarian, I said, still trying to impress. Her eyes lit up. I have tons of fresh veggies in my crisper. Let's marinate some of them before we cook. She took me into the kitchen. We peeled two zucchinis, three carrots, a handful of mushrooms, and a large purple onion. The living room was better for this, she whispered when we finished with our plate. Lavender-scented candles, incense, the aroma of fresh zucchini. These smells will stay with me all of my life. She turned on the music, stretched out on a tiny rug on the hardwood floor, took off her leotard, and lifted that blue skirt around her waist. She asked me if I wanted to watch or help. I could barely move. I said I would love to watch her. I touched the pale skin high between her thighs and petted her gently as if she was a kitten. She closed her eyes 
and threw back her head and showed me possibilities I didn't know existed. She loved that vegetable as if it were a cock stroking herself with it, rubbing it slowly around her clit, entering her pussy so slowly, so slowly, in and out, teasing herself, and finally fucking herself hard. My cock beat to her rhythm. I came in my pants as if I was 15 again. She was lying back on the floor, and I kissed her pussy. I kissed that cock. I kissed her legs from thigh to ankle over and over again. And then we cooked. Stir-fry veggies over tomato basil pasta. Peppermint tea. Fortune cookies. It was an extraordinary meal. I suspect it was the special sauce. Quote, you will attend a royal banquet and meet your first lover, my fortune cookie said. And I knew I just had. Isabel changed into a little girl flannel nightgown and took me into her bed. We slept. No sex. The trust implicit in this act is overwhelming. I never touched her except to hold her tight. In the morning, we started again. Carrots just don't quite work, you know, she said. Too thin. They have some uses. Eggplants and tomatoes and onions and peppers all have uses, too, sometimes. She told me that her practice was as old as the Kama Sutra. How else do you think all those women in the harems got satisfied? Hell, that book even goes into using the root of the sweet potato. Sometimes, she confessed blushing, I go out with something inside me to a quiet place like the museum. It makes you think about sex all day. Melon balls are my favorite, kind of like an organic set of Benoit balls. If this was foreplay, I wasn't sure I was ready for full sex. I went to see her dance on the third date. She was beautiful. We went back to her place, and I lit the candles and incense this time. I'm yours tonight, she whispered. You've passed. What would you like? I was ready. What else could a man want? I want you to love me to worship me, just like you did with that zucchini. She undressed me while I stood there, knelt in front of me, and began. It all came back to me in that moment, why sex is the most important thing in the world. She kissed my feet, and then worked her way up, taking forever, kissing and licking my balls and holding them gently in her mouth, talking to me, saying things, telling me how good I tasted, telling me how much she wanted me inside her, how much she needed to ride me hard. She took my cock deep into her throat all at once. There were no rules, or there were only my rules, and she was mine, and I was laying back and holding her small hips and lifting her up onto my cock and driving into her hard and fast. The world stopped. That was all I knew that she could make the outside world stop and take me back to where I belonged. She came for me over and over before I stopped and took her long hair in my fist and held her still for a minute. 
Do you want to please me? I whispered, knowing that she did, knowing that this girl lived for sex and that I could give her what she needed. God, yes, she whispered, nodding. Turn over. I owned her. I fucked every part of her body and she begged for more. I couldn't quite imagine matching her sexual imagination, but I discovered that I could more than match her desire. When my cock was finally deep in her ass and my own vision of heaven was high on the horizon, I suddenly knew. I knew this was it and this girl was going to change my life. I didn't tell her this. I thought there would be time later. I don't believe we slept that night, but I do know that I never let her near the kitchen. I started drawing again. I sketched her constantly. I still have some of the drawings. Isabel in Iceberg is my favorite when framed on the wall. Even though she swore that Lettuce just didn't do a thing for her. I stopped eating meat. Isabel. Her name in my mouth was better than any sirloin in town. I went dancing with her. I don't dance. Little clubs that nobody my age had ever heard of. Dark entrances, pounding music, Isabel twirling and twirling and always coming back to my arms. She let me go to the beauty parlor with her and watch her get waxed all over. I only went because she told me she loved it, loved the pain, loved the discipline of it all. Discipline is everything, she told me. I would ask her to show me her pussy, and she would, any time. She danced for me whenever I wanted. I wouldn't call it stripping, but I guess that's what it was, and the world would stop one more time. But when I wasn't with her, she would rarely answer her phone. I just knew she was in bed with a zucchini, and I couldn't stand it. She'd see me once a week. That was all, and I knew the girl fucked herself every day. I got stupid like men do. I followed her, saw her at the produce stand, watched her dancing through the studio window. I saw her go out with her friends and then go home alone. I knew there was no other man. When I asked her, she told me she'd been in love once, but that was enough. She liked me. I knew she did, and then I realized the problem. It still pains me to admit it. She preferred her vegetables over me, just as she told me on that first date. How on earth can a man compete with an edible cock? I couldn't get past once a week. Summer was running down, and I wanted Isabel in my bed every night. She wasn't a tease. There was no game. God, how she could fuck. Some nights she would lift her skirt and wiggle her ass onto my lap, pressing down hard on my cock before we'd even go out. She'd tell me how much she needed my cock. It's my real kink, she confessed, just being penetrated everywhere. I tried to force the issue. I asked her outright what the story was, why we couldn't spend more time together. 
trust all joy, she'd say mysteriously. And she'd wrap her hair around my cock and then take me in her throat until I forgot even what the question was. You taste wonderful since you stopped eating meat, she'd whisper after she'd swallowed and licked me clean. You taste like cinnamon. You taste like a perfect cup of hot chocolate on a cold winter night. Somehow, I knew this was true, and nobody had ever noticed it before. Saturday nights were heaven. By Tuesday, I'd be going crazy. I moaned. I fretted. I knew I was driving her nuts with my demands, but I couldn't stop. I studied myself in the mirror and contemplated my fuckability factor. When you're in competition with a vegetable, every little bit helps. Other women called me, and I simply had no interest. Isabel, her name in my mouth, was more appealing than any onion. What could I do? Move her to the country and give her a farm? Buy out a local produce stand? I couldn't imagine. I studied her apartment. All she owned was cheap furniture, beautiful candles and scarves, and one shelf each of music and books. I used to own a lot more, she told me when I asked, but now I read a book and then just pass it on to a friend for their pleasure. The same with music. I pass it on. There were no clues about how to get to her. I got stupider. I bribed her grocer to tell me every little thing that she bought each trip. Six-inch zucchinis, bunches of carrots, scallions. Scallions. I had to do something. One Saturday night, late in August, I tried joining forces with the produce. I used them to fuck her every which way. It was hot. It was satisfying. But I was still relegated to Saturday night. I knew I'd never make it another week without her. I laid out a plan for Tuesday night. I would simply show up, lock the door, and clean out her fridge. I knew if I could spend enough time with her, I could somehow make her replace her veggie vice with me. I knew I could measure up. I'd spend a night with a ruler and a tape measure back near the beginning of stupid. I knocked on her door that Tuesday night, and there was no answer. It pushed open easily. Isabel was gone. No books, no candles, no music. I could picture her in front of me, twirling and laughing in that blue skirt, but when I reached out to touch her, there was nothing but ordinary space. I believe I stood there for close to forever. The world may have even stopped for me one last time. I checked the fridge. It was empty, except for one zucchini with a note wrapped around it. I've gone on tour, darling, it said. Pass it on. Unquote. And pass it on, we will. Every time we kiss. Every time we swell and blush, it adds a little something to our life and to the lives of people around us. We're going to continue to do this in the next episode 
of dirty poetry, using the word poetry very loosely, of course. Join me for the next episode of Dirty Poetry.